0: So we have a lot of children for which we are grateful. So I want to share with you, starting off with uh, the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 3. And Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus one of the Sanhedrin, a Pharisee, one of the leaders of the Jews. He comes at night because uh, Jesus is kind of a controversial figure. But he has a sincere heart, and he's got an honest question. And um, he wants to come and talk with Jesus, which is the thing to do, right? If you have questions about somebody or having issues with another person, that's what we ought to do, go to that person ourselves and talk with them. And so this is what Nicodemus does. And uh, he starts off saying, we know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So there's an acknowledgement of the presence of the Lord working in and through Jesus. But Jesus looks at the heart just like he does look at your heart and mine and he knows the things that are on our minds and things that are troubling us and the deepest questions that we have. And so Jesus... He gets right to the point. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the Jews, they thought that most of them, because they had been circumcised and born into the chosen people, that uh, they didn't really need to repent of a whole lot. And so Jesus was saying, it's much worse than that. (laughs) You've got to start all over again. And Nicodemus doesn't understand. He thinks he's talking physical, earthly things. And so he asks the question, how can he be born when he is old? He, can he enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus tells him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so he's making a clear distinction here. Earlier in the Gospel of John, he said that Jesus came to his own and they didn't receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God. And so there seems to be a division here between flesh and spirit, doesn't there? And I'd like us to talk about that this morning. Um, In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, God created people, uh, men and women, in His image and likeness. We were created like Him in spirit, like Him in character, and when He created us, He created us um, out of the dust of the earth, but He turned that dust into flesh, and so we have bodies. And we were meant in every, every area of our life, to be glorifying God. So, the Hebrew way of looking at things, is that a, a person is a total unity. There is a wholeness there. So, what affects one area, uh, affects every area. The Greeks later on, would they like to divide things up into categories, and they would try to separate, uh, the essential part of a human being, into body, soul, and spirit. And, um, that distinction is going to cause a lot of trouble in the church, because and to us today, because we try to com- compartmentalize our lives, don't we? Uh, this is what's going on with me physically, but this is what's going on with me spiritually. And the Jews would say, "Oh, no, it doesn't work that way," because what affects you physically has a direct impact on your spirit and soul. What affects you spiritually has a direct impact on your body and your soul. What affects your soul has a direct impact on your body and your spirit. And you cannot separate those things because God created us as a unified whole. And yet, it was in the area of the flesh that many of our temptations come. And I think there's a reason for that. The Old Testament, um, as they looked at the flesh, what they look at is... It stresses the limitations of humanity. It says that because we're flesh and blood, that we are weak, and because of sin, we will die. And so when it talks about the flesh, the focus is on this life, the body, the physical, the mortal part, earthly part as opposed to spiritual part. Um, it has to do with our vulnerability. And often our weakness in the body or in the flesh. Now in the Old Testament, there's not so much of a moral aspect to that. Um, you're just weak because you run out of energy or because we're human and we're getting older and we're frail. And life is um, is very fragile. And so when it talks about the flesh most of the time in the Old Testament, that's where they're coming from. In the New Testament, uh, the word that they use for For the flesh here, it contains everything that the Old Testament did, the frailty, the humanness, the weakness, but it adds um, a moral and ethical dimension. And so, the flesh in the New Testament, many times, in Paul's writings particularly, the flesh takes on the, the character of sin nature. And so you've got to read the the context carefully because sometimes he uses the flesh talking about the body and the weaknesses that are common to us all. Other times he talks about the sin nature. And one of the words, the old words that I used to use, was uh, carnal, um, a carnal mind. That means a minding of the flesh in obedience to it. That means you're ruled by your physical appetites and desires. But it includes things like pride, arrogance, greed, lust, jealousy, anger, fear. It includes those things as well when Paul talks about the sin nature. And so we see there's a division here. And uh, it's an important thing to keep in mind because in the past there's been different groups that take different view of the body and the flesh. Some say, well, um, since we're compartmentalized, New Testament body soul and spirit you can do whatever you want in your flesh as long as the spirit's right with god and the hebrew would say that's impossible you cannot do it that way because what affects one has a direct impact on the other but we've bought into that you know i can do what i want on monday through friday maybe even saturday night but i always have a chance to come to church and confess my sins and get over you know start over again but it doesn't work that way um So, uh, you've got this thing about the flesh, and the reason for that, in the Old Testament, it's an amazing thing, the word that the Old Testament uses for, for flesh also means to bear tidings, or to gladden with good tidings. So, when God created men and women, gave them a body, and placed them on the earth, Even in their body, they were to embody the good news. The flesh was to be the instrument or one of the instruments through which the glory of God was revealed. Because it's not just flesh, it's good news. And it's a messenger, it's a, a way of communicating with other people. And so, God creates the flesh to be the good news. We were to be the good news for the rest of creation. So that's why he put Adam and Eve in charge of the garden and says you are to rule over the earth and have dominion over it, take charge of it, be responsible for it, protect it, nurture it, help it to develop and be all it should be and it begins with you and you are to subdue the whole earth. God never intended for them to camp out in the garden and never leave. The plan was you start in the garden and then you gradually expand that until it encompasses the whole earth and he's going to use people to do that uh, and the flesh is part of that it's the bearer of good news so when Satan came he tempted them in the garden and it's the you know they used to talk about it uh, the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life First uh, John talks about it in that way and so it's the food um, things to eat and they saw that it was beautiful, good for food, and desired to make one wise. That's the, those were the three reasons that they gave for eating the fruit. But if you read earlier in Genesis, it tells you that all the trees were beautiful. And all the trees were good for food. So the only reason they had was to try to gain wisdom in an ungodly way. And so they did that by eating of the fruit fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which God commanded them not to. James in the New Testament says, If any man lacks wisdom, all he needs to do is ask of God, who gives freely. If they wanted wisdom more than they had, all they had to do was ask. But they chose to disobey and to go against God. And what that did was that brought... Sin into themselves and made it a part of them. And so then the flesh becomes not a messenger of good news but a source of temptation and a source of strife within. And so that progresses until we get to Paul in the New Testament. Uh, So he starts talking about the sin nature because... It's not just the flesh and the body, but it's also the attitudes and the self-centeredness that goes with all of those things. We get a good picture of it in Jesus' dealings with Peter. In Matthew chapter 16, they are at Caesarea Philippi, and Peter is responding to a question that Jesus asked. Um, The disciples are on kind of a spiritual retreat they're at the headwaters of the Jordan River. It's a beautiful place, it's quiet, uh, it's refreshing, got the, the streams, that uh, spring that becomes the Jordan River, comes out of the rocks there. And they're partly grieving over the death of their good friend, John the Baptist. So they come apart to process and to think things through and to come to terms with things. And Jesus begins to ask them, okay, what is... What are people saying? Who do they say that I am? Who do they think I am? And so they gave the different answers. And finally in Matthew 16, as you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter. And it was in his heart. um, And it wasn't something that Peter figured out or something Peter finally realized. It was a revelation from God. And so Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. And Jesus answered him, "Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven." And he tells him that he's going to. He gives Peter a new name, and he's going to tell him that he's going to build the, the church upon this rock. And then immediately, Jesus begins to talk about crucifixion, suffering, and dying that's not in Peter's plan at all. So immediately, Peter shifts from being a recipient of the revelation of God to putting in his own ideas, his own wishes, and Peter didn't know the difference. And a lot of times, as Christians, that's where our struggle is. We can't tell what is the leading of God and what is my desires and my wishes, what I would like to happen, what I hope, what I wish would happen. But God's kingdom is not based on wishes. It's based on revelation. And so Peter, speaking out of his own heart, uh, because he loved the Lord, he takes Jesus aside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine that? Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not Setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. This would be what Paul calls a carnal Christian. He loves the Lord. He's committed to the Lord as much as he knows how to be at this point. He's wanting what's best in his eyes. And he's got the the fleshly part of him um, got in the way. So he has in that mind the things of men, not the things of God. And so Paul is going to talk about this also in Romans 7 and 8. And this is a a pretty strong statement that Paul makes. It's a statement here about um, the inner warfare that has been brought into our lives because of sin and because of the sin nature. And because of that, In Romans 7, he talks about the warfare that's going on within the hearts of individual believers. And uh, he makes a statement here, starting with verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have a desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close to my heart. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but in my members, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so he's talking about this um, division within his own heart and within his own mind. David talks about being single minded, and in the New Testament, when it talks about a double minded man, it's a person that's being pulled in two directions and it's literally two-souled. There are two forces within that are waging war within us and we understand that. We get a good picture of it in um, Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, we're in the garden, another garden. This one is the garden of Gethsemane. And the crucifixion is looming before Jesus and there is a dread that falls upon him and he begins to be greatly disturbed and they're out there in the quiet where they often go to pray and Jesus gets his disciples and he he asks them one thing watch and pray with me but it's not just for their sake Um, so what he does is he invites them sit here while I go there and pray and what he's told them is they need to watch and pray so that they won't enter into temptation and as they're supposed to be watching him and praying what happens they go to sleep Jesus comes and he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch with me. And as he's doing that, they fall asleep. He wakes them up. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This happened three times. Um, And he made a right statement. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 7. Um, With my mind, I'm serving God, I want to serve Him, the desire is there, but in my actual practice, my everyday life, I find that sin dominates, controls, and destroys me. And so Paul cries out in Romans chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. So is there any one of us who keeps all Ten Commandments all the time? Not just the way that Moses presented it in Exodus and Deuteronomy, but the way Jesus presented it in Matthew chapter 5. The law says... Don't murder. I say, don't hate. The law says, don't commit adultery. I say unto you, don't lust. The law says, don't covet. I say unto you, don't be greedy. And so, how many of us can say, I've kept all ten commandments all the time? Well, none of us. And that's what Paul is saying here. The law weakened by the flesh. It tells us when we do wrong but it doesn't help us understand how not to do wrong. It doesn't help us uh, to know how to break the bondage of that sin when we do sin. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's telling us, uh, God has redeemed all things, and he's done it uh, through the weakness and vulnerability of the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John tells us. And so Jesus becoming the Word, the Word becoming flesh in us, In Christ, what that means is that the original plan and purpose of God is to be fulfilled in you and me. That flesh becomes not this thing that's talking about the sin nature, but then it becomes what he originally called it to be, the messenger, the bearer of good tidings. We are to become the message in our flesh, in our body, in this life, in our current situations and circumstances. Because what you are does not have to be dominated or controlled by circumstances. If it is, that's what it means to be in the flesh. In the spirit means that God is controlling us. And so we live in spite of the circumstances, whatever they may be, in spite of the difficulties, no matter how insurmountable they seem, we walk in the presence of the Lord. And so we become strong in him. This is what Joel was talking about in Joel chapter 2. And God gave the prophecy of the pouring out of his spirit. And he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, young and old, men and women. Uh And he does. All flesh is to be redeemed. And so the flesh in and of itself is not a sinful thing. It's what we've used it and how we've allowed it to control us because the body and the flesh never was intended to be in charge so this is why the new testament talks about one of the gifts of the spirit being self-control taking charge of our fleshly natures not only our bodies but also our attitudes our thoughts um the motivation behind what we do. Paul continues there in Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh. Set their minds on the things of the flesh. Who live according to the spirit. Those who live according to the spirit. Set their minds on the things of the spirit. And this is what Jesus was telling Peter wasn't it? You have in mind the things of man. Not the things of God. You are being fleshly minded here. And he was inviting Peter to change Right after that, when he told Peter that, he talked to all the disciples, addressed all of us, and he talked about, if anyone would follow me, he must pick up the cross, deny himself, pick up the cross, and follow me, if we want to come after Jesus. So what happens is crucifixion is what he's talking about, and what is crucified is the body. And the flesh. And that's what he's calling us to do. Don't be controlled by our bodies. Don't be controlled by the fleshly part that's corrupted by sin. But to be controlled by the spirit. Paul continues. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So later on in Romans 12, this is why he tells us our spiritual act of worship is by offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, redeeming the flesh. So Jesus became flesh and blood in order to take upon himself our weaknesses. And he died in order to make us new creation. Uh, if we had time, uh, we could read Galatians 5, and it talks about the results of living in the flesh and the results of living in the spirit. But we'll sum it up this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Again, a passage that's familiar to most of you. And... In this, he's talking about how in Christ, we've become a new creation. And we're looking here at um, verse 16. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Remember, Paul, uh, initially named Saul, looked at Christ, he judged him according to the flesh, and he said, that's heresy. And so he set out to destroy Christianity. He attacked any Christians wherever he could find them. Uh, He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was there um, when people forfeited their homes. Their jobs were thrown in prison, some of them put to death. He was there doing that because he was regarding Christ according to the flesh. But he said, we don't do that anymore because he had a revelation, which is why any of us ever moved from the flesh to the spirit. It's because God in his grace and mercy has chosen to reveal Christ to us. And so Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ God making His appeal through us. How does He do that? Through our relationships with each other. uh, Through our physical bodies. Talking to one another. Speaking to one another. The attitudes that come through. The character that's seen in the decisions that we make. And so it's through this body, through this flesh, redeemed, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Filled with the Spirit that He uses now... As God's instruments, just like at the beginning, He created Adam and Eve and they were to be the good news. And so now because of Christ in you, you and I have become the good news. And that expresses itself through what we do with this body, what our attitudes are, what our motivations are, who we are seeking to please, and why we are doing the things that we're doing. So he calls us in whatever job, whatever situation, whatever position that we are in. We don't get to choose our families. Um, You know, whatever that is, good, bad, or indifferent, we are to be Christ's ambassadors. God, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I don't know that we fully understand what God has done for us. He's not only redeemed us, cleansed us, purified us, filled us with His Holy Spirit, invited us into His presence, but He's made us co-workers with Him, co-laborers with Him participators with God. He wants us to know what he's doing and why. And he wants us to be able, if we know what God's doing, we know how to pray and we know what to do, how to live. And the Holy Spirit reveals that to us. Um, he, Jesus talks with that, about that in John 15 with his disciples, saying, I'm not calling you servants anymore. I'm calling you friends. Servant doesn't know why, but the friend does. I want you to know so you'll know how to pray, how to live, and I'm inviting you to walk with me. That's the invitation that he gives to you and to me. Same invitation that he gave Peter, James, and John. Come, walk with me. I'll walk with you in your everyday, ordinary life. And through you, because of Christ in you, then you become the light of the world because the light is Christ. And he shines through you and through me through our bodies, through our words, through our attitudes, through the things that we think about and meditate on, and he wants us to be redeemed. Uh, the flesh is to be the vehicle of the good news. Let's pray. Father, we come before you standing in amazement at your plan and purpose. And that even when we have so ruined, so corrupted, so defiled what you've gave to us as holy, you in your own grace and mercy coming down like us in in the weakness of the flesh took upon yourself our vulnerability and weakness and through that you brought salvation and redemption to every aspect of our life and then you anointed us and called us into fellowship with you and to be participators to be people who walk with you through every stage of our life God, I pray that you would grant that to be a reality in us. Help us, Lord, to be, live up to the calling that you've placed upon us and for the gift of your Spirit enabling us to be what you've called us to be. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We have uh, communion every Sunday in our church. Uh, our church believes in open communion, which means that uh, it's open to anybody. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for sinners. That's us. That's all we all are, isn't it? Sinners saved by grace. That's all any of us are. And so it's by grace of God that, uh, that we can come before Him. He invites us to come. All the men in the upper room that day, we're going to either deny Him or run away or betray Him. And so these are the ones that He invites to the feast. So we're in good company. So He invites us to come. We can come. Um, we can receive a renewal within our life. Uh, it can be a time of recommitment. It can be a time of drawing close. It can be a time of giving thanks and praise for what he's done and continues to do in our life. So all of these things are part of the communion service. Um, We can come because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's an amazing thing which he did. Uh, Sin came upon us and through the weakness of our flesh and blood it devoured and destroyed us. Jesus coming in the likeness of sinful flesh, in the flesh and in the blood, he took these things and he offered them up as a sacrifice back to God, which is what we should have been doing all along. That's what Jesus has done for us. Because on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body and it's broken for you. After supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Each of you drink from this cup. This is a, cup is a new covenant, a new relationship with God. In my blood, it's shed for you and for many. It's for the forgiveness of sins. That's your sins, my sins, the sins we've committed against others, the sins others have committed against us. It's for the forgiveness so that we can be free. Um, We don't have to be guilty over the past. We don't have to be resentful because somebody has hurt us in some way. We can let that go and be free. And that's what he invites us to come and do this morning. So if those who are serving communion would please come forward.